massive earthquake set off a tsunami that struck some Indonesian islands. The tsunami leveled whole villages, leaving hundreds dead or missing. According to the survivors, the deaths could have been avoided or at least minimized. Unfortunately, the tsunami warning system, floating buoys off, off the islands, weren't working properly. As a result, they didn't alert the islanders to the coming danger. The dart buoys, as they are called, measure wave height. If a buoy measures an unsafe wave, it transmits that information to shore. This system provides the only warning signals for islanders to prepare for the oncoming danger. Unfortunately, according to a 2011 report, the buoys had become detached and drifted away. Sensors had failed, and as many as 30% had been inoperable. As a result, many of the buoys failed to awaken people to the reality of an impending massive wave. If, if you are a follower of Christ, and you not, only have the, you not only have the privilege of sharing Christ's love, you also have the responsibility to gently confront sin and warn people of impending judgment at Christ's return. But sadly, if like the buoys, you have become detached or drifted away, and if your love has grown cold or apathetic, you may leave others unprepared for the consequences of sin of life apart from Christ. In today's passage, uh, we're going to look at Romans 13, 8 through 14. We're going to look at how urgently we need to consider the responsibility to share Christ's love. So if you'll look, at me, or look with me at uh, 13, Romans 13, 8 through 14, page 789 or 1138 in your Bridge Bibles, we'll begin at verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, not harm, do, duh, love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because of our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of sin sinful nature. First of all, I want to explain verse 11, and then we'll jump back uh, again to verse 8, because I think it sets the tone uh, or context for the rest of this passage. Verse 11 says, and, and do this understanding the present time. When, when Paul says, and do this, he's referring to all the commands in the passage uh, that we're going to look at today. Uh, we also need to consider what Paul means by the present time. Let's look at Romans 8, 22 
We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Um, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly uh, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So what Paul has already told uh, the audience here previously in Romans is that um, there will be a, an end time, a time of Christ's second return. Um, Paul is writing here about those living in anticipation of Jesus Christ returning a second time. Um, we also see this in Philippians 3, verses 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So they're, they're, uh, this is the anticipation, this is the understanding of the present time that the audience lived in. This is also the present time that we live in in anticipation of Christ's return and, um, and our being taken and uh, up with him. So Paul is telling the readers that today you are one day closer to Christ's return than you were yesterday. Jesus' return is part of what's called future history. And at this present time, you should continually expect it. Paul is expressing a true sense of urgency here to add some weight behind his commands. This sense of urgency is important because it requires us to be proactive so that we can be protected. Which brings us to our first point. We need to be proactive in loving others so that we can be protected from harming others. Verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law, the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul's theme here about debt flows from the previous section of verses where he talks about making sure you pay people what you owe them, including taxes, revenue, respect, and honor. Paul is telling the reader here that we have a continuous debt to love one another. Normally, we pay debts to those from which we have received goods or services. In this case, Paul references the Ten Commandments, uh, including indicating that we are indebted to God as the origins of those commands. So our debt to love one another is a debt we owe to God. I believe he's saying that continuous love for others completes or makes possible those commands. And I want to remind us that part of Paul's audience here too is a new Jewish believers. Um, and so that's where he's bringing in um, the Ten Commandments, or he references actually four of them here. Let's look at Matthew 22. Um, this is Jesus. Uh, this is the Jewish leaders were testing Jesus, trying to catch him, trying to get him to say something wrong. And so their question was sort of um, underhanded. 
They said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So Paul agrees with Jesus uh, in this way. In, in, other, in other words, in obeying the command to love one another, there should be no worry about disobeying any of the other commands. Also, by obeying God's command to love one another, Paul was telling his Jewish Christian audience that they were actually fulfilling their duty to God and that there is no limit to the amount of obedience to God that they should offer. Knowing that we are showing God godly love to others helps protect us from inadvertently harming others because, as in verse 10, love does no harm to its neighbor. So it is for this reason that we need to be proactive in loving others. Last week in Romans 12, we talked about a few ways to do this. We talked about helping those in need, blessing those who do us harm, and seeking to restore people to God when they have turned from him. Our second point is we need to be proactive in self-leadership so that we can be protected from immorality. Verse 11, and do this understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. First of all, Paul talks here and he uses the analogy of night and day. So, just as a reminder, um, Paul is helping us in verse 11 to, uh, to understand the need for urgency in obeying these commands. He is reminding us uh, that Christ's return is imminent. Um, so he's saying, wake up and focus on what is important to do in preparation for what will be the most significant event in history. Paul says, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. This is a reference uh, not to one's accepting the truth of the gospel, but to one's ultimate or final salvation at Christ's return. Paul then continues to encourage them by saying, the night is nearly over and the day is almost here. That's what I was wanting to get to there initially. The night and day analogy would have made sense to those who were reading this. This was a common analogy of the time. Uh, most often this analogy would signify night as evil and the day is good. Paul is telling the reader that the night is our present time when Satan is at work in the world. Um, but the day is coming. The light of Jesus Christ is coming and will eliminate the darkness. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, you do not need to write 
uh, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So we don't know when, no, exactly this will come, only that it's imminent. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Next slide. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. So there's a Paul, there's, a, there's two different audiences Paul is talking to here, those who believe in Jesus Christ, who don't, uh, don't have fear of Christ's return, but need to be aware of his imminent return so that we're not caught unaware at that day. And those that don't yet know him and um, need to be aware also that he will bring judgment. So Paul is saying, don't get caught surprised and unprepared at Christ's return because his return brings final judgment. That means for those still living in the darkness of unbelief, time is up and no more chances. And for those who believe in Jesus Christ, Paul is saying, live your life like you anticipate Christ's return. He also talks about uh, deeds of darkness and the armor of light. So how do we act like we understand that Christ's return is imminent? Um, We put aside the deeds of darkness and we put on the armor of light. Paul lists some of these deeds in darkness uh, in verse 14, um, orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and, and debauchery. And we have to remember that this is a letter to the Romans, and Paul understands Rome's culture during this time. Paul kn- knew about what was going on in Rome. Um, you see, these, these behaviors were common in the accepted culture of Rome at that time. This is just historically the case. It was common for the men to have access to a wife, a servant or housemaid, and temple prostitutes. Alcohol or wine was the drug of choice, and much of the behavior was carried on at night. Just as an aside here, before I finish this thought, how do you think Paul knew about these things? Do you think Paul was spending time with people who were living this way, sharing the light of Christ um, with those who were caught up in this darkness? Do you think... Or do you know someone caught up in the darkness that you, darkness like this even, that you know that you could share the light of Christ with? It's just something I want us to kind of think about. Um, Back to our passage, the contrast between light and darkness that Paul uh, is suggesting here is stark. He writes that rather than carry on in the darkness like this, Put on, the, <clears throat> put on the armor of light. You see, armor protects the wearer. And light takes away the darkness. In his letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul writes more about the armor of God. Ephesians 6. 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world. Um, these are spiritual forces. These are spiritual um, ranks of demonic forces. Um, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Um, so now we're, we're being proactive. We're putting on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, we can be protected. You may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, so continue to stand firm, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So he goes into a lot more depth here as to how we can uh, be pro proactive in uh, our faith so that we can be protected from evil. One might even say that the evil influencers here uh, that exist in the spiritual world should be given greater concern than our own um, sinful nature. But here in verse 13, Paul is mainly just giving us a warning about our lifestyles and behaviors to be prepared for temptations, whether they come from inside us like jealousy and pride, or from outside, like societal or cultural practices. Third, we need to be proactive in our thoughts so that we can be protected from evil desires. Verse 14 says, Rather close your, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. To clothe ourselves with Christ is to continually put on Christ. Let's start by looking at Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to be put on your new self, to put on Christ, to be clothed with Christ, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the new identity uh, a, believer, a believer has in Christ. To clothe yourself in Christ means a couple of things should happen in the life of the one being clothed. First, this means to understand and accept that Jesus Christ is Lord over your life. He's, he's the one who is in control. That you wrap yourself in obedience to Christ's commands and his will for your life. You have chosen, chosen to cover yourself in Christ and his protection from evil and sin in your life, as Paul notes in Colossians 3. 
But now you must also rid yourselves of all things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of the Creator. And second, when you choose to cover yourself with Christ, when people look at you, uh, because you're covered with Christ, they will be able to see Christ in your behaviors, in your actions, in your love for others. They will be able to see his love, his grace, and his truth. I also want to mention here that being clothed in Christ in this sense that Paul is referring to here, we have the option every day. We have a choice every day of whether or not to do this. We have a choice to whether or not to put on Christ every day. And we need to consider every day whether we're going to live in a way that our behavior and our love for others shows others that we have put on Christ every day. So we need to be vigilant and proactive in making sure that we are accepting Jesus' lordship each and every day. And if we do seek the lordship of Christ daily, over time we will train our minds, we'll train our brains, we'll train our bodies, our spirits to respond in godly and biblical ways. 1 Timothy 4. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So this training is valuable over time. And we begin to get in the habit of thinking and behaving in godly ways that are honoring to God. So instead of thinking about how to gratify the desires of sinful, sinful nature, as Paul says at the end of verse 14, we need to train ourselves to be godly. We need to continually evaluate our thoughts and ideas in order to make sure they are in alignment with God's. We need to grow in knowledge of God's truth so that it becomes second nature to respond in godly ways. There is no better way to grow in knowledge than to study God's word. And even then, once we know God's word, we still have to practice it in order to grow in wisdom. You see, wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. Or as I once heard someone say, wisdom is the art of skillful living. Skill in anything we do comes from practice using the proper technique. And God's word teaches us that the proper technique of skillful living. As a final reminder in this letter, in his letter to the Philippian church, Paul gives this advice in Philippians 4. Eight, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. This is a reminder of what it looks like to train our minds to put on Christ.
In Switzerland, unlike other countries that have a pay-as-you-go toll system on major roads, um, it exp they expect drivers uh, using its auto route system to pay an annual fee of 40 Swiss francs. When you pay, you get a windshield sticker to display on your windshield for the rest of the year. Traditionally, traffic police give motorists the whole month of January to purchase this sticker. There's no penalty for driving without it for that entire month. It is a month of grace. But when the first days of February come, expect the traffic police on the auto route exit ramps, checking for cars without that sticker. No more excuses are accepted. No more time is given. The grace period has ended. When Jesus Christ returns, no more time is given, and the grace period has ended. Will you be prepared? Will those you care about be prepared? These are the questions that we need to ask ourselves. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this day and this place to study it in. We ask that if, as we continue throughout this week that we look uh, daily to seek ways and uh, to honor you. We seek ways to clothe ourselves in your love and to live in ways uh, where that... Um, we are an expectation of your return. We're an expectation of um, the urgency of making sure that we're living in proper ways, making sure that others know you. We thank you for your guidance and uh, your provision for our lives. And we just praise you in all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.